Hey everyone, you are listening to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and beauty director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we discuss all things beauty taken through the lens of well-being. Thank you so, so much for joining today. So next week, we have a beauty catch-up episode, so tune in to hear all the latest beauty news, what we've been up to at My Body Green, and Mind Body Green's beauty editor, Jamie Schneider, will be coming on to join me to answer all of your beauty questions. So for today's episode, I have on my first repeat guest. Not only that, but she was my first guest ever. Dr. Whitney Bow is one of my favorite sources to use. She has been a longtime beauty friend of mine for almost a decade now, which is hard to believe. She is a renowned beauty expert, a leading dermatologist, and a Mind Body Green Collective member. She is so truly ahead of the curve in every single way. She was talking about the gut skin connection back when no other germs were. She has been leading the field and educating people on the skin microbiome. And she is a huge advocate for a holistic approach to skincare. She is never one to just rely on topicals, injections, or treatments. We get into some pretty dense science throughout the episode, and we jump into it pretty quickly, so I won't keep you waiting. Let's just get into the episode right off the bat. Dr. Bo, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. So great to speak to you always, on air, off air. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited to have you back. You were my very, very first guest, and... A lot has happened since then, but you know, you are such a, such a big part of the mind, body, green family. And obviously one of my favorite sources to use and to connect with. So I'm so excited to have you back and hear about what you've been up to lately and, you know, dive a little bit deeper into some of our favorite subjects that I know both you and I love chatting about. Because I have had you on previously, we don't need to go into your entire backstory, but let's just get the audience caught up on you. You have been up to quite a bit since we last (laughs) spoke about a year ago. Why don't you share? Yes, I have. So so I just, I guess just over a month ago, launched Dr. Renewal Beauty, so my skincare line. And it's been just a dream. You know, I, I put a lot of, of time and thought and energy into it. And then when you sort of put that baby out in the world, you know, you you hope that the world is ready for it. You know, I, I have a reputation, as you know, for sometimes be, being a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of being a pioneer because, you know, I really do like science is my North Star, right? So I'm, I'm looking at the data, I'm collecting, you know, I've, I've seen thousands of patients for over a decade and I've published over 40 peer-reviewed scientific publications and book chapters and, and lectured internationally. And so I'm, you know, very, very deep in the most cutting edge science and you know, sometimes the world is ready for that. And sometimes the world isn't. And, you know, I'll start talking about it, whether people are ready or not. And it was one of the very first terms to even talk about the gut skin connection and the microbiome and nobody could pronounce it. And everyone's like, what is she talking about? And, you know, then they all became sort of buzzworthy. But, you know, when it comes with the product line, you sort of want to, you know, hit it at the right time. Like you want to introduce it. It's, It's cool to be the pioneer and cutting edge. But if, people aren't ready to, you know, to, to sort of receive that and their, their head's not there yet. You know, sometimes the timing's not in sync and, 
with the brand, I, I really lucked out. <laughs> I feel like the timing was perfect. You know, the, the, the concept has completely resonated. It's exploded. We're doing great. It's just been just, you know, you really hope that things go well and then you just never know. And when, you know, when it started and we officially launched, I was like, oh, validation. <laughs> you know, it is actually, you know, people care about the science. So yeah, it's been, it's been a, a ride. It's been really exciting and a lot of fun. Well, listen, you know, obviously you are such a pioneer in the beauty space and obviously you are such a well-respected and well-trusted source in the beauty industry. And so I'm curious, you know, what was it about this moment? What was it about now that you felt like, okay, now is the time that I want to create something of my own. Now is the time that I want to put this out into the world. What what was the inspiration there? Yeah, quite honestly, it was really a natural evolution of of sure. all the things that I've been doing over the last like decade plus, right? I mean, I I have always deeply believed in the skin gut mind connection and taking a very evidence based approach and you know, what I call a three-dimensional approach to the skin, you know, really thinking about treating the skin from the inside out and the outside in. And with the Human Microbiome Project and all the science that was coming out, you know, just adding more evidence to that concept, you know, it, it felt very like, okay, this is, this is something we just can't ignore. And you know that I, you know, I treat patients. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm a research scientist. I'm also in the media, you know, I'm on social media very actively. And just my patients, my social media followers, like everyone was asking me every day for ways to implement the advice that I was giving them. You know, it was, okay, you, you, you know, Dr. Bo, you're telling us that, you know, the diet matters, nutrition matters, that our stress levels matters, that our skincare, what we're putting on our skin matters. But I think it's the world of, of beauty and skincare is incredibly complicated. There's so many products out there. It's very hard. And, and no brand was really taking that approach where they were thinking about developing products that both treated the skin from the inside out and the outside in, in a really thoughtful, strategic, evidence-based way. And so, you know, I, I really think, I, I think I'm the only brand out there that, you know, is looking at outer skincare and inner skincare. And, and you know, my outer skincare is my, my potent topical formulations. And then the inner skincare, you know, it are, are the, the nutritional you know, products that you can add to your diet. You can drink your skincare, you know, with Bow Grow. It's how you're treating your skin from the inside out. And I developed those products together and I put them to the test together, you know, using mm -hmm. some of the most advanced like clinical testing protocols in the industry, you know, to prove that they actually work synergistically, that when you, you know, add the drops to your water and you sip it, and then you apply the moisturizer to your skin twice a day, like you can drive results that you can't possibly achieve from you know just a, a simple skincare product you know that's meant for outer skincare or a simple dietary supplement alone but you know creating that synergistic product pair and testing it yeah. you know it it just took skincare to a completely new level so for me it was something that just of course it made sense it was intuitive but the part that was you know the the most challenging was you know, the product development side of it, like how do I create the products that I, you know, the science, of course, like I wanted them to deliver, you know, the, the scientific results, but I also wanted it to be that moment of self-care, that luxurious experience. Like I'm a girl, I, I love, I love using a product that feels silky on my skin that feels like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to use this product because I yeah. love the way it makes my skin look. I love the way that it feels. I love the way that it goes on. I love how comfortable my skin feels when I use it. And then also, you know, when it came to, to Bo Grow, the blend of polyphenols that you drink every day, 
I wanted it to taste good. Like I, you know, I wanted it to not just be another capsule and another pill. And I think that those are, there's definitely a place for those. And, but I, I had so many patients who came to me and they said to me, you know, Dr. Bo, I don't, I don't drink enough water. I know I have to hydrate from the inside out. I know I'm supposed to be drinking, but like water's boring and I just don't get to it enough. So I, I wanted to sort of combine those two things. I wanted to deliver you know, those clinically effective levels of phytonutrients that are really going to rebalance the gut microbiome and support skin health from the inside out. But I wanted to do it in a way that encouraged drinking water and hydrating and made that experience feel like, like almost like a, a self-care ritual, like something that felt good, that tasted good, that you actually looked forward to doing every single day. So that, that part, that part developing the products, you know, it, it, that, that part took me a very, very long time. I'm a total perfectionist. And then putting them to the test, like, you know, clinical testing is incredibly expensive, right? It's incredibly yeah. time consuming. It, it can delay a product launch by six months plus. And to invest that time, the energy, the resources, the funding towards doing those robust clinical tests, you know, that, that in itself is a tremendous, tremendous commitment. So, you know, all in all, I started working on these products over, over two years before launch, you know, and, yeah. and seeing them come to life was, you know, something that it doesn't just happen overnight. I, I know all the shortcuts. I've done the consulting. I've done the advising for all the major skincare lines, you know, for the startups. Like I know how to do it quickly. I know, I know how to make it, you know, how to come up with a concept and get it on the shelf within six months, but I chose not to do it that way. Sure. And, and to do it during just a very small supply chain, you know, issues that were happening globally, that small thing, supply chain, you know. So uh, everyone's no dealing with supply chain <laughs> issues. And I can tell you that when you care about sustainability yeah. and sustainably sourced ingredients and sustainable packaging, and then you deal with supply chain issues on top of that, it, it was a small miracle that we were actually able to come to market. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> no, it's, I, I, you know, I know from, from experience and I know from talking to, you know, other people who are dealing with supply chain, it is, especially for, if you care about the environment, it exactly. is exactly, so, you know, kudos An to extra you. to jump through, exactly, <laughs> cruelty-free, sustainable, good for the planet, <laughs> like, okay, now we're making supply chain issues, we're taking them a whole new level. <laughs> Okay, so listen, you know, I want to talk about do in particular, and you you speak about how they are backed by science, right? Let's talk about those ingredients. Yeah, we, we, I'm happy to talk about the ingredients, but I, I just want to take a step back for a second, like more of a bird's eye view, because I think yeah. that, you know, we, we do focus so heavily on ingredients. And I think that that is, that is one piece of the puzzle, right? But what I think that a lot of people are missing is that ingredients don't make the final formulation. And I think, you know, if you bring it back to say like what you're eating for breakfast, like, you know, if you're eating two eggs every morning for breakfast and those eggs are going to have certain effects on your body, on your brain health, on your energy, on your, you know, on your sugar levels, et cetera, you cannot extrapolate those results to eating two pieces of cake for breakfast every morning that are made with two eggs because the cake is the final recipe and the eggs are the ingredient. And, and there's a, a little known secret in the skincare world that a lot of brands rely on what's called ingredient supplier data, meaning that if their product contains an ingredient that repairs the skin barrier or you know supports a healthy microbiome or boosts hydration or delivers a certain benefit, 
you know, I think that a lot of brands will, you know, stamp their product as science backed and, you know, rely on that data and they'll sort of make those very robust claims. And if you read the fine print on the website, it's like, oh, wait, it's only looking at one ingredient in that formulation. But as a scientist, you know, having trained, I, I trained in epidemiology, biostatistics at the Clinical Center for Bio, Bioepidemiology and Biostatistics at University of Pennsylvania. I took courses like logistic regression. Like I, I am a scientist. And as a scientist, you, like, you sort of hold yourself to a different level. Like if I'm going to be sure. you know, publishing something in a peer-reviewed journal and I, and I say like, hey, it does X, Y, and Z, but I'm not testing the final formulation that study is going to be rejected. It's not going to be accepted. So I think, you know, in the, in the world of marketing, we sort of get away with all of these things, but, you know, internally I was like, wait, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. So, so I think ingredients matter. They do. And believe me, I spent a ton of time sourcing my ingredients and making sure they were the right ones, you know, but I think that what really takes the products to the next level is the fact that, you know, we actually tested, I will never launch a product that I haven't tested in its final formulation using robust clinical testing. So, so that being said, let's talk ingredients. So the, the first launch I launched with Bow Glow, which is a micro, it's a nourishing cream. And then I launched with Bow Grow, which is a microbiome balancing elixir that you add to water. It's a water enhancing elixir that you shake up, add one to three droppers into your water, into your sparkling water, and you sip on it throughout the day. The Bow Glow, which is the moisturizing cream, I included prebiotics, postbiotics, squalene, ceramides, hyaluronic acid. I included phytosterols from pomegranate. I mean, I I literally built this formulation from the ground up. And and that's something that, you know, you know as well as I do, there's a very quick way of what you take is a base formula that's about like 80% done, right? And then you just like you add three sort of buzzy ingredients into that base formulation and then you, you know, put it out there. So I did not do that. I actually, you know, literally custom built this. I built it from the ground up with each. So every single ingredient in the formula, it's hard to call out like, what are my key ingredients? Because like every ingredient was very deliberately added sure. to the product. But those are some of the key ingredients. And, you know, I think that the, the goal of that product was really to repair the skin barrier. And we did a test called looking at trans epidermal water loss. So when people talk about repairing the skin barrier, like you and I know the barrier is so important, right? That, you know, every product under the sun claims to repair the skin barrier, but how do you test that? Like, how do you know if it's actually working? So you can actually measure the rate at which water evaporates out of the skin. And that's called TUL or trans epidermal water loss, T-E-W-L. And so what we did is we did clinical testing, looking at the product. And after just one hour of a single application, we were able to statistically significantly reduce transepidermal water loss. And that is the objective measurement showing that it actually repairs the skin barrier. So just, just one, just literally one application was able to do that without wow. using things like Vaseline and, you know, mineral oil and petrolatum, you know, there's, there's quick ways of repairing the skin barrier that may break you out and may not be the best for the environment, you know, but we, we chose to do it without those ingredients. So, so that was very exciting for the, for the cream. And then the elixir is a blend of polyphenols. So it's it's a vegan elixir. It's got subtle notes of pomegranate, berries, lemon, and it, it sort of has this almost like blood red color when it's in the bottle. But when you add it to water, sparkling water, it kind of looks like a rosé. I don't know if you ever drank 
you know, the diet Snapple, kiwi strawberry Snapple like years ago. So I, it, it sort of reminds me of that color. And it's got a very, very subtle flavor to it. I mean, it's, it's, it's very palatable. I wanted it to be just, you know, universally. So something that everybody would, would, would enjoy. So I didn't want it to have too strong a flavor at all. So it really just has a lot of those natural flavors, you know, from the, the natural ingredients that are in there. Um, and what it does is is what what polyphenols are. So that's the main ingredient. It's a blend of polyphenols. Polyphenols are plant derived bionutrients that give plants their bright, beautiful, vivid colors. So when you look at like a pomegranate being red, or you look at blueberries being blue, like those colors come from polyphenols. And we knew that polyphenols acted as antioxidants, but the newer science is showing that they actually have prebiotic like effects, meaning that they actually rebalance the gut microbiome. So they encourage the growth of healthier, more beneficial strains of bacteria, and then they inhibit or suppress the growth of less beneficial strains of bacteria. And they do all of that without gas and bloating. And that was something that was, you know, some feedback that I got from my patients. Cause you know, when I started learning about, you know, the gut microbiome and how balancing it was just so important for skin health, you know, I, I, I really encouraged my patients to, I was like, you've got to be, you know, eating sauerkraut and kimchi and sipping on kombucha and, you know, eating prebiotic fiber, like garlics, leeks, onions, dandelion greens. And my patients came back to me and you know, there was a subset of patients that were like, Dr. Bo, like, I, I want to be eating these foods that are so good for my gut and my skin. But like you, you know, I'm afraid to go in the elevator with people. Like I'm so gassy and I, like, I can't do it. And I get that. I get that. That some people's gut is just so inflamed that when they try to make those dramatic changes quickly, like their gut's just not ready for it. Right. So, you know, I, fa- I think the fact that polyphenols, you know, right when I was getting that feedback from my patients, that's when all the science was coming out surrounding polyphenols and how they were able to have those same benefits as prebiotic fiber, but without the gas and without the bloating, you know, for me, that was really intriguing. So, so these products are really meant to be just foundational in your skincare routine. You know, you want to be using the moisturizer twice a day. You, you and I know that, you know, there's, there's vitamin C serums and retinoids and, and exfoliating serums and all these amazing things. But if you're not respecting your skin barrier, if you're not, you know, starting off with a healthy, balanced gut lining and a healthy, balanced, you know, skin microbiome and skin barrier that no matter what other products you're adding to your regimen, you're not actually going to achieve healthy skin. Yeah. To dive a little bit deeper into the skin barrier of it all, it's a very trendy thing to talk about right now, right? I, I think most brands try to hit on some marketing point that it has to do with the skin barrier on some level, but it, obviously you. You took it from a, a very robust angle in which, you know, you want to support all, all aspects of the skin barrier. So when you went to go out and select your ingredients, the hyaluronic acids, the ceramides, that, you know, squalene, the postbiotics, walk me through selecting those ingredients and how they go and play in to your skin barrier health. Yeah. So when you think about skin barrier, so I think that, you know, in, in the old days, sort of the older way of thinking about the skin barrier was sort of that brick and mortar approach, right? And just thinking about like, it was almost like this, you would sort of envision like saran wrap around your skin, just like protecting your skin, acting like a wall. And now we realize that the skin barrier is this living, thriving ecosystem, right? It's it's just so much more dynamic and complicated than what we initially thought. And a big part of that has to do with the skin microbiome. And so the skin microbiome, we want it to be diverse. We want it to be rich. We want it to be balanced. 
And so when I was thinking about ingredients, you know, the prebiotics and the postbiotics were absolutely top of my list in terms of really repairing that skin barrier because I wanted to have that healthy balanced microbiome. So I looked for ingredients. The, pre, the So classically, you know, let's go back to probiotics. That's the word yeah. everybody's familiar with. You know, and I still I th- think there's a lot of misconceptions about probiotics and skincare. They're still very, very, very much, much so. So, and and that's because of a number of reasons. One of them being, you know, I think that the, the word probiotic was just something that everyone could sort of hang their hat on. It was like, okay, wait, there's yogurt. It's got these living microbes in it called probiotics in it. That's good for my gut. Okay, now I want like skincare that's going to have probiotics in it. And so brands didn't 100% understand a lot of the formulators, even like the expert formulators. I've had many conversations with them. You know, I think that there was confusion because they thought that they were including probiotics in their formulations. But when you when you create a skincare product, if that product has water in it, which is called an emulsion, meaning if it's a serum, if it's a cleanser, if it's a lotion, if it's a cream, then it has to have some kind of a preservative in that system to prevent the product from becoming contaminated. So you don't want harmful germs, harmful microbes to grow in your products. You don't want Pseudomonas to grow in your eye cream. You don't want Staph aureus to grow in your serum. You know, so it's important. These preservatives, they get this bad reputation, but the truth of the matter is that they're a necessary evil. Like we do need preservatives in our skincare. But in this day and age, the preservatives that we have that are truly effective at preventing contamination and really protecting you from those harmful microbes they're not able to discriminate between the bad bugs and the good bugs. So if you're trying to protect the bad bugs from contaminating, and then you add a living probiotic into that product, that preservative system is going to kill off the probiotics too. So by the time that you actually you know, got those products in your hands and started putting them on your skin, I would say 99 out of 100 times those probiotics were not actually probiotics. And I think that that was a source of, I think there have been class action lawsuits about this. You know, there has been a tremendous disappointment on the part of the consumer that's like, wait, I had all these great expectations for probiotic skincare that didn't deliver. Well, guess what? Like there's no probiotics in that product. And, you know, as we learned more and as I learned more, even my own, you know, I'm always evolving and learning. But as I learned more about the science and the formulation and how it was working and, and what the limitations were, you know, I started really delving into these concepts of prebiotics and postbiotics. And yeah. prebiotics are like food for your microbiome. It's, you know, if you think about it in terms of a garden, it's like the fertilizer, right? It's like making the soil rich, fertilizing, like you need to nourish, you know, those, those good bugs. And you do that with prebiotics. And then postbiotics are non-living components. So when you think about a postbiotic, they can fall into two buckets. You can either take a living microbe and then you can inactivate it, either using like ultrasound waves or heat. You know, there's different ways of inactivating it. So it's no longer living, but it can still interact with the epidermal cells and with your skin barrier in a very, very positive way. Or the other sort of class of, of postbiotics 
are metabolites or things that are made by living bacteria and then secreted into their environment. So things like short chain fatty acids, antimicrobial peptides, you know, so those are, those are classes of postbiotics. So when you think of, and then there's overlap, there's confusion, like some postbiotics act like prebiotics, like, Ooh, it gets very exciting there. So there's (laughs) the nomenclature, like just getting the language straight and looking at these ingredients and then taking it to the next step. What are good prebiotics and postbiotics for the gut are not necessarily good prebiotics and postbiotics for the skin. So yeah. right, you have to look for, so, so I wanted to look for products that were specifically good for the skin microbiome. I also, you know, wanted to, to look for products that were going to be smart. So I call them smart prebiotics. Smart prebiotics specifically encourage the growth of good bacteria and inhibit yeah. the growth of bad bacteria. Cause you don't just want to like stimulate growth all over, like grow all your bugs equally, you want to be really deliberate and careful about that. So for example, like one of the prebiotics that I have in my skincare, in my, in my bow glow is a type of inulin that is only metabolized by certain bacteria in the skin that have an enzyme called inulinase. And it turns out that only the more beneficial strains of bacteria actually carry that enzyme. So they see my, my moisturizer as food, they eat my moisturizer, they grow and they flourish. And the bad bugs, the ones that create inflammation and are not so healthy for the skin, they don't sort of recognize my ingredient. They're like, what's that? I don't even know what to do with it. I don't even have the enzyme to like digest it. You know, I don't even know. So, so they sort of die, they starve. So that's like a whole other level. So when it came to sourcing the ingredients, like it was, it was very much, you know, a labor of love to find those ingredients and then formulate them in a way that, you know, was cosmetically appealing and beautiful and elegant. Mm-hmm. And then when I put it to the test, for example, when I was testing, like, what's the effect on the microbiome, right? How does it actually affect the microbiome? That's another term that gets thrown around, microbiome friendly. Like, what does that mean? So you can actually test it the most, I would say the gold standard right now in terms of testing formulations and seeing how they impact the skin microbiome is using something called next generation sequencing technology, which is actually an in vivo human clinical test. You can actually test the skin microbiome. I I used a little sticker. I partnered with a group called Sequential Skin. They're very brilliant, very cutting edge PhDs in molecular genetics. And they basically, you know, helped me create these protocols where we did this very extensive testing, looking at bacteria, looking at the fungal organisms, something called the mycobiome on the skin, you know, and really tracking over time, the impact that my product pair was having on the skin microbiome. And we were able to prove that it actually increased the diversity of the skin microbiome. And, you know, and then we measured all the results using other very robust clinical studies, looking for you know, improvements in the skin barrier, improvements in hydration, measuring fine lines, wrinkles, brown spots. And you know, we were able to correlate those changes in the skin microbiome with those clinically meaningful changes that resonate with the consumer, like the things that they wanna see. It's one thing to say like, hey, it makes your microbiome healthier, but you know, what does that mean to the consumer? They're like, I don't care. Like, does that, you know, what does that mean for my skin? And when your skin feels better and it looks better and the fine lines and wrinkles look so dramatically better. Like we were seeing like the kinds of things you would get from a retinoid. We're seeing that from the product pair and without any irritation at all. And that's, it's really because of that combination, that synergistic effect from pairing, you know, the, the inner product with the outer product that was able to deliver those results. I don't think that if you you know, that no matter what you do with a single product alone, when you're not taking that holistic, that comprehensive approach, you're never going to get those kinds of. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think 
having a multifaceted approach is truly the only way that you can take care of your skin long-term. You know, the shortcut topicals, that's never going to give you the longevity that you want. You can only get that through a holistic, well-rounded and thoughtful approach, which, you know, clearly we're diving into a lot of those angles on this episode. But, you know, when, when we talk about the microbiome, one thing that I am often met with from various, you know, maybe it's other beauty editors, maybe it's, you know, other people in the beauty industry, maybe it's influencers, you know, they, they say that the science of studying the microbiome isn't there yet, or, you know, these ingredients, they're, they're exciting, but, you know, we, we don't fully understand the full scope of the results or the benefits or the claims that, that we're making, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you're somebody who has always been on the cutting edge of beauty. So I'm sure you're kind of like used to comments like this because you're like always a a step ahead of the curve and you're like just waiting for other people to catch up to you. So I'm curious, like, what do you say to people who have that sort of response? Because it's something that I'm often met with when I talk about the importance of the microbiome and supporting your microbiome with topicals. So I think that it's an incredibly valid point because the skin microbiome science is much newer than the gut microbiome science. So everyone started yeah. with the gut microbiome. There's there's much more evidence and we have a much deeper understanding about the gut microbiome as compared to the skin microbiome. That being said, that is actually one of the reasons why I went the extra mile to actually like push this field forward. Like I want to contribute to the scientific literature and our understanding of what is a healthy skin microbiome. There is actually a mountain of evidence looking at the skin microbiome in different disease states. Like we know what happens, for example, in eczema, you know, you have a lack of diversity. You have something called dysbiosis in the skin. You have an increase in staph aureus. You have a decrease in staph epidermidis. Like we clearly know what can precede a flare of eczema. We know that if you can rebalance the skin microbiome, you can actually shorten the duration of flares and require less steroids, you know, to treat those patients. When we talk about acne, we know that there's something called C acnes and C acnes is there's, we used to think that all C acnes was bad and inflammatory. And now all the newer science is showing that there's actually tons of different strains of C acnes and some C acnes protect you from acne and other strains of C acnes can actually trigger acne flares. You know, so we, we are learning so much when it comes to the skin microbiome. And for me in particular with these products, like I wanted to explore how they, how the skin microbiome was related to things like brown spots, tone, texture, fine lines, wrinkles, hydration, barrier repair. So what I did is we actually did the skin microbiome testing using the next generation sequencing technology alongside these other tests, looking at things like corneometry, which measures electrical capacitance in the skin, which measures hydration, looking at things like transepidermal water loss to measure the skin barrier, looking at measuring the depth of the fine lines and wrinkles, quantifying hyperpigmentation in the skin, looking at and and actually capturing and quantifying texture in the skin. And we're actually deep in those those analyses now, and we're going to be submitting that paper for peer-reviewed publication. So, you know, I acknowledge that we are, we're definitely learning. And it, that doesn't mean that, that we should, you know, just give up and wait for somehow, you know, the, the science to sun like fall in our lap. Like, you know, I'm very much, you know, taking a very proactive approach to helping to contribute to that information and having a very transparent and honest conversation with, 
you know, my colleagues and with my customers about like, you know, what are these products doing and how are they working? You know, like right now, you know, we saw, we saw that the products brighten dark spots and it's like, wait, that was sort of an unexpected. I was like, it's a moisturizer and it's, you know, it's a, it's a prebiotic polyphenol elixir. Like how is it brightening dark spots? And then I looked back in the literature and one of the ingredients in the elixir is a pomegranate extract. You guys at Mombetta Green are big fans of pomegranate. You know, we have that in common. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because if you look at these clinical trials, there's actually clinical trials showing that if you drink pomegranate juice or take a certain dose of pomegranate extract, it actually has this sort of UV, UV protective effect against the sun. It helps your skin repair from sun damage, which we know is one of the leading causes of brown spots. And then there's another study looking at how it can actually help brighten dark spots and melasma in the skin and help with hyperpigmentation. So it's like, wait, maybe it's something about the elixir. And then I was you know, on the phone with my molecular genetic collaborators and they were like, you know, what's so interesting is that there seems to be a shift in there's certain bacteria and fungal organisms on the skin that actually inhibit melanin production. And we're seeing more of those in the skin the longer you use your product. So could it be that we're shifting the microbiome in the skin? We're creating populations of strains of bacteria and or fungal organisms that actually inhibit the, the overproduction of melanin. And that's what's evening out skin tone. It, like, I mean, this is mind blowing and so interesting. And, and that's, I'm going to be, you know, writing this up in this, in this publication, really trying to understand and understand the limitations of the study and be just completely honest about like, this is new information. Like, you know, we're seeing a correlation here. What does this mean? Does that, you know, can we then take this to another step and develop other, you know, even drugs and, or, you know, prescriptions, you know, to really help with people who are really struggling with things like melasma, hyperpigmentation, those could dramatically affect quality of life. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's a learning curve. I don't think that it's like, oh, probiotics, they don't work, right? Because we don't really know enough about the skin microbiome. Like, no, it's a challenge. Like, let's, yeah. Listen, I am right there with you. And I, you know, I am somebody who is very much in the camp of, yeah, there's still a lot we don't know, but isn't that exciting? And isn't that, you know, such a great opportunity for us to explore our our skin and explore new ways to care for our skin? I mean, I, I would think that other people in the beauty industry would find that appealing in some respects, but, you know, I think sometimes you... You run into people who are like, no, all you can use is retinol and that's it. But I think that also like there's something about like SEO and what kind of titles, you know, will, will sort of drive traffic and something like probiotic skincare doesn't work. You know, the title sometimes isn't even selected by the person writing the article. Like the person writing the article totally. may completely understand all the nuances, right? And be like, you know, oh, there's prebiotics and there's postbiotics. And like, oh, this is this is why probiotics may not, you know, work as well in skincare. But then, you know, sometimes it goes, you know, up the, the, the ladder and yeah. sometimes what ends up being sort of like that catchy title. And unfortunately, a lot of people might not read beyond the title, right? They just sort of see the title yeah. and then they're like, oh yeah, it doesn't work, you know? And and unfortunately, like that's, you know, that's discouraging. I, I still absolutely think that the microbiome, you know, I, I think, as, as evidenced by the fact that there are like thousands of the top labs, you know, internationally still focusing on the skin microbiome and the gut microbiome, you know, literally to like cure diseases throughout yeah. the world. Like clearly there's potential, you know, the NIH funding it, like, like people think that there's validity there. So, you know, I think it, I think it just, you know, it's one of those things where there's like excitement there's marketing that sort of hops on a trend before they sort of really understand how to leverage it. And then sometimes the products that initially come out in that first wave are a little bit disappointing because they, they may not have the real science behind them. 
And so then there's that skepticism that follows. And then it's like, okay, now we're really starting to, you know, hang our hats. Like the brands that took time and really are sort of doing the science and really thinking it through and doing it the right way, they're going to come out as that second wave. And so, you know, I think right. it's it's a tremendously exciting area. And I think we're going to start yeah. to see that second wave very soon. Yeah. You know, I think there's a similar comparison here to to adjustable collagen, you know, where that first wave and that first, you know, boom of collagen on the market was absolutely met with, with skepticism and, you know, perhaps on in some levels deserved skepticism because, you know, perhaps some of the, the claims that were made weren't necessarily up as buttoned up as they should have been. But, you know, I, I love that you said that. I'm going to interrupt you because I think that that's just so important because like this, it's we as dermatologists, doctors are trained to be very, very skeptical. And if you don't completely understand something and you haven't done that deep dive into the literature, your knee jerk response is to be skeptical. And I, and that's great. And I love a healthy skepticism. And that's exactly what happened with collagen because it was one of those like the collagen came out. And you know, yes, some of the claims were like a little bit over the top. I acknowledge that. But I think there was this big misconception where like one person came out and said, collagen is this really big peptide chain. There's no way it's getting absorbed by your gut, traveling through your bloodstream and plumping up that wrinkle next to your nose, you know, your smile line. Like that's not possible. And, you know, then if you actually look at the science and you actually like took the time to read through all the literature, you're like, wait a second, like nobody's saying that the intact collagen chain is being absorbed through your intestinal layer, through the tight junctions and somehow, but like, that's not how it works. Like it's actually broken down into these dipeptides and tripeptides, which then act as signaling molecules. And it, it sort of signals like a, a wounding effect to your skin and says damage has been done. And so then your skin responds by building its own collagen. So it, it like once people... People sort of understood the science behind it, then you had a lot more of those naysayers being like, oh, wait, maybe there is something to this and it actually is working. So, you know, I, I think that I think that sometimes, you know, when you're not up on something, you're down on it, right? If you're not totally up to date, you know, and instead of just acknowledging and being like, you know what, I haven't really taken the time to look into that. Like my practice is super busy. I'm keeping up with my CME credits. Like I'm barely surviving. My insurance isn't reimbursing any of the stuff that I'm doing in the office. Like my patients are calling my staff all day and all night asking for like, like I haven't had the chance to completely look into how collagen works in the skin yet. Like hold comment, you know, <laughs> instead they're like, well, we need more clinical studies that prove that it's like, well, actually there are clinical studies. You just have to like take yeah. the time to read them. <laughs> they're there. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I completely, that's exactly what happened. And I think that there's like a, a, a similar path that I think is happening with microbiome products. Absolutely. And, you know, hopefully we can get more people over on, on our team as, as time goes on. So, you know, you are obviously somebody who loves clean beauty and you are somebody who is very much encouraging of this, this movement in the beauty space. That's not to say it's a perfect, you know, sect of the beauty industry. Certainly there are, are a lot of things that I find fault with, you know, clean beauty and, and the sort of messaging that comes around it and perhaps some of the claims that get made. So, you know, I, this question is twofold. And the first is, why do you, you know, align yourself with more quote unquote clean beauty values? And then two, the second part of this question is, you know, 
where where do you see that the the space should and could improve because you know there's always room for improvement so you know it's such a great question i feel like the world of clean has gotten incredibly messy <laughs> and that's that's sort of what happens when you have a term that's not like regulated right this isn't like an fda regulated term that has a universally accepted definition. And so unfortunately, you know, how everyone uses the term clean is completely different. And so, you know, then there's surrounding the clean beauty movement, there's been fear mongering, there's been greenwashing, there's been a lot of misunderstanding and misinterpretations and, and, and just loss of the nuances that are involved. I think the thing that, you know, that I think there's so many wonderful things about the movement, for example, just the focus on, you know, sustainability and, and trying to do good by our planet, I think was, you know, was, was huge. And I think that the idea of transparency and, you know, having this, you know, open dialogue, I, I think was so, so important, you know, but, but I think that there are still so many areas that are still just so completely confused. One of them, you know, being, for example, you know, this concept of, of natural being, you know, safe for your body, for your skin, for the planet, and and better than something that is potentially made in a laboratory setting. And that's sometimes the case, but not always the case. And, you know, for example, you know, when it comes to fragrance, that's something that, you know, when, when the clean beauty movement started, you know, I started sampling a lot of these products. As you know, I get boxes and boxes of products every week from brands that are hoping that maybe I'll talk about it, you know, on Good Morning America or talk about it and recommend it to my patients. And I found that there was this huge emphasis on very heavily fragranced products that were quote unquote fragrance free, but that were leaning on, you know, essential oils, botanical ingredients. And, you know, sometimes quite often, you know, those ingredients can actually trigger inflammation, irritation, and allergies in the skin. You know, dermatologists, that's one of our, we know that, you know, essential oils and a lot of these natural you know, ingredients, especially the ones that have very pleasant smells to them, you know, can actually be the, the number one trigger of irritation, inflammation, and ultimately, you know, potentially developing a skin allergy over time with continued exposure, you know, and so that was an area where I think that, you know, the brands meant to avoid, they, 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 they had, there were concerns about synthetic fragrances, there was some controversy around using them and how they might be affecting our health. And then sort of, it was a knee jerk response to just like still continue to use fragrances because fragrances are, you know, we know that they are associated with this sort of marketing allegiance. Like people, when you, when you smell a product and you fall in love with the smell, you're more likely to have brand loyalty and keep purchasing that product. And so the marketing teams are like, well, we can't not make it smell good, but we can't use the synthetic fragrances. So let's use all of these. And so you know, there was this whole, you know, cr creation of all of these products that were just heavily, you know, fragranced, but using other types of fragrances that weren't necessarily great for the skin. And, and, you know, now we know that a lot of, a lot of those natural ingredients, you know, are not necessarily sustainably sourced either. You know, palm oil is a natural ingredient that's used as an alternative to fossil fuel and petrolatum to create a lot of skincare ingredients. But the sourcing of palm oil, it can be sustainable, it can be, or it can actually lead to deforestation and, and actually devastate, you know, entire populations of, of plant species and even animal species. And, you know, so that's an example where natural, you know, all of a sudden people are trying not to use the fossil fuels and they try to use a natural source and, you know, they end up doing more harm than good in that respect as well. So I, I feel like there's, 
there's just these nuances and it's hard with, you know, with brands that are trying to just quickly market without getting into the weeds, you know, it's, it doesn't make for as clean a marketing sort of like tagline <laughs> to right. be like, you know, like it, it, you know, it's, it's just, you think about like how the marketing mind works and, you know, people, people will sell things based on fear. People will sell yeah. things based on this, like, you know, oh, it's, it's natural and, and natural makes you think healthier, better. And, and I, I love ingredients that are natural if they're sustainably sourced and if they're good for your body and good for your skin. You know, it's not yeah. that I'm not against natural. I love natural, many natural ingredients in my products, but I also contain a lot of ingredients that are sourced using biotech fermentation. You know, when you think about how to source ingredients in a really sustainable way, you know, biotechnology, in my opinion, is is really the future of doing that in a way that, you know, is is using a, a renewable resource, you know, that that actually is going to do the least damage to the planet. So, you know, my hyaluronic acid, my squalene, they're all actually sourced through biotechnology. And so I, I think that there's that like clean as a word is just such a such a hard word right now because there's there there's not it's not black or white. There there are so many gray areas to it. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with everything you've just said. So, you know, you are quite popular on TikTok. You come up on my For You page quite a bit. What has that experience been like becoming somebody who, you know, future generations of beauty enthusiasts really look to for advice? Because, you know, TikTok, it's it, it's it's seeming like the future of beauty in some ways, you know, what, what has that experience been like? Yeah, I, I love my TikTok community. I think that TikTok is, it's very refreshing in that it really is more raw. It's more yeah. authentic. And, you know, I think that when you think about some other, you know, social platforms, like I, I love, I love my Instagram family as well. Believe me, like I'm the first, I, I know everybody on there and I, <laughs> I love them dearly. But I think that sometimes, you know, before you post on Instagram, it, you sort of polish it a little bit more, you know, it's just like, and, and we're moving away from that, you know, so I, I in particular, I'm making more of an effort, especially, you know, on Instagram to, you know, to try to just be more myself, let myself, you know, just come through. And I think that that's just innate to the TikTok, TikTok platform. It's just like, you know, you, you, you don't want it to be curated. You don't want it to be polished. You want it to be a little bit more raw, a little bit more, you know, authentic. And, and that I find incredibly refreshing. I also think on TikTok, there's more sort of body positivity and skin positivity. Whereas, you know, when, when you talk about Instagram and other forms of social media, sometimes you scroll through and you, walk away feeling a little bit worse about yourself. You know, it's like, why are all these people living such awesome lives and they look so good, <laughs> you know, and they're all like meditating with this like amazing, beautiful, like hydrangea background and like their skin is flawless and their body is amazing. And then you, know, you go on TikTok and you have people who, you know, have acne and they're like, hey, this is my skin and this is what it looks like. And I'm not going to use a filter. And like, if you use a filter, I'm going to call you out for it. And you know, so I think there's a lot of really interesting aspects about TikTok. You know, I also think there's tremendous misinformation on TikTok. You know, there's these nasal yeah. tanning sprays that went viral on TikTok with these girls, you know, going to, they're spraying inside their noses with, you know, melanotan one or two, these unregulated, not FDA approved ingredients. And then they're going into tanning beds and laying out in the sun and, you know, and posting their before and afters. And, and if you're a teenager and you're on TikTok, like as a mother, you know, that's yeah. really concerning because it's like, oh my gosh, if my daughter saw that, like she doesn't understand that 
you know, this can affect your, your hormones. It can increase your risk for melanoma. It can, you know, hurt your kidney function. Like this, there's things that these, these people on TikTok aren't going to that level. It's a 15 second clip showing this amazing tan, you know, and, and these young vulnerable, you know, kiddos are, are seeing that. And so I, I almost feel like it's a bit of like, it's, it's a bit of my job to sort of be on there and, speak in a way that these kids can sort of relate to me. And I, I hate to say kids because my, my personally, my TikTok audience is pretty diverse. I have 50 year olds, 60 year olds, 70 year olds, you know, <laughs> on my TikTok channel, but, but there still is a really good number of these, you know, of younger people on TikTok. And I know that when I got, get out there and say something that they're listening. So, you know, yeah. that does come with responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, it's sometimes when I get on mine, I, when I'm scrolling through and I'm getting fed all this stuff, you know, sometimes it can just be mind boggling about the things that people say on there. These young kids just, they don't necessarily know what they're talking about. And I just, you know, I always thank God that I didn't have anything like that when I was there. I think it's also incredibly distracting. Like, you know, if, if you're trying to like focus and get in the flow, you know, if you're writing something, if you're creating something, if you're learning a musical instrument, like whatever it is that you're trying to like that hobby, that practice that you're trying to get into every day that really, you know, fuels your soul. It's, it's so addictive to just like pick it up and just get sucked yeah. in. And, and right. it, I think that there's, you know, I think there's going to be major repercussions to that. And I think we're already seeing some of that. So you know, my, my, my daughter had to take a social media holiday last week and I was just like, nope, you're not going to do it. Like we can, you know, we can cook together. We can go for a long walks together. And, you know, the beginning of the week, she was really mad at me. And then at the end of the week, like, you know, she really was just less irritable. You know, we were fighting less, like she was just more just enjoying our family time together. And I think it's just such a daily struggle for parents, you know, who are balancing things. And and even for non-parents, for people who are dealing with their own, like I have this to do and this to do, but then I get sucked into the, (laughs) to social media. Uh, So it can be good. It can be bad. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There is certainly that dark side to all of it, which, you know, I'm, I'm actually not big on social media as a personal platform. It's just not really my, 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 it's not where I'm suited for, I'd like to say. Well, I think and, there's always uh, like, yeah. like podcasts, like our, you know, your audience here, like the people who are listening yeah. here, like it yeah. takes a, a specific type of person who really is willing to carve out that time to take yeah. that deeper dive and to really, you know, fuel their brain, their soul, learn, educate, you know, without that quick sound bite, that quick, like, you know, entertaining, like 30 second, like, ha ha ha, you know, sort of moment. Like it's, it's a, and I, there are clearly, I mean, the success of your podcast is, you know, a surrogate for the fact that like, there definitely is still that contingency of people that crave that deeper conversation, that deeper connection, and that sense of empowerment that only comes with, with peeling away all the layers and going deeper. Mm -hmm. And so like the, the, I don't think the podcast is going away anytime soon to be replaced by TikTok. (laughs) Okay, good. <laughs> Listen, the last thing that I want to talk to you about is what you're doing for yourself. I'm assuming your own products play a big part into that. But, you know, I also want to ask about what you're using outside of your products, you know, whether that being well-being habits or, you know, what whatever it is. I, I am always dying to know what you're using because obviously you have the best 
best skin. Yeah. I think the number one thing that has really changed my skin has been just skin cycling. And that's a concept that I came up with, you know, a while back when I was treating my patients and really like listening to them and really observing and saying like, like bring a bag of your products into the, into the office. Let's see what you're using. And not only like, how are you layering them? Because everybody's obsessed with how to layer your skincare and layering matters, but it was not just layering. It's also like, what are you using on Monday versus on Tuesday versus on Wednesday? Like, how are you actually cycling through your skincare products? And so for me, you know, skin cycling and having that exfoliation night followed by the retinoid night, followed by recovery night, recovery night, and then starting again with exfoliation night, it's been able to take my skin to the next level. And, you know, and then also thinking about like how to layer my skincare and having that inner layer, like thinking about that inner layer. And for me, you know, when I sip on my Bow Grow, you know, I put a couple of drops in the water, I shake it up, I bring my reusable water bottle to work and I sip on it throughout the day. And I know that I'm nourishing my skin from the inside out. And I'm, I'm sort of, it, it also just sets me up in the right mindset for the day. Another practice that I've been getting into the habit of doing is in the morning, you know, when I, as soon as I wake up, I'm a real early bird. I wake up before the sun and I, I go outside when I see the sun rise and I look towards the sky and I let that blue light get into my eye and turn off my melatonin and set up my circadian rhythm for the day. And I find that that energizes me. It helps me focus. It helps me sleep better at night. Um, so that just, just that it literally takes me 30 seconds. I step outside my front door. I mean, we're not talking about like a big commitment here. That has been game changing. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think like little things like that. I mean, I, I also, the way that I cycle through my skincare, I cycle through my, my exercise routine, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll mix it up. I'll do a day of, you know, of running cardio and then I'll do a day of strength training with Robin Arzon on Peloton. And then I'll do my yoga day with Dennis or Kristen McGee. I'm a big Peloton fan, as you can tell. You know, and then I'll go play tennis the next day with some friends. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I try to mix it up and I feel like my body responds better to cycling through and not just doing the same exact thing every single day. Yeah. Well, certainly that is advice we can all take home and try to implement into our own routines. Ever since I heard about skin cycling, I have been making a much more conscious effort to do that with my own skin. And it really does make the world of difference. So, you know, I, I, you have one fan over here at the very least. <laughs> you have, and you have sensitive skin, right? So I feel like that's more important than, for, you know, for sensitive skin than any other skincare category. Like everyone can benefit from skin cycling. But if you have sensitive skin and you're used to having that burning and irritation and dryness yeah. and reactive skin, yeah. and then you start building in those recovery nights, like that, that can just be game changing for people with sensitive skin. Yeah. It really, really is. And it's also just, you know, I think for so long, beauty folk have been encouraged to, you know, be super consistent with their routines, do the same thing every day. You know, that is how you, you know, that's what we were told for for quite a long time. So to to have permission to say, no, I'm taking a night off and this is actually good for me, I think is, it, it was very eye-opening and it was very refreshing. And it, it kind of became this, like a floodgate moment where I was able to be like, no, like I actually shouldn't be using this ingredient tonight. And that's actually good for my skin rather right. than feeling the pressure to to use push it. Through, push through, push through. And oh, my skin is still purging. Like, no, your skin's yeah. not purging. Your skin barrier is completely damaged. <laughs> like that's not purging anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Dr. Bo, thank you so, so much for joining me again. I'm sure we'll do this at some point in the future. <laughs> I will I have you on at it. any point. Anytime, so. girl, anytime. Always, always game for speaking with you. I love our conversations. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, I do too. Thank you so, so much. 
Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more beauty content, you can find it at mindbodygreen.com or any of our social channels. And finally, if you liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.